I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to this edition of World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today we're talking about Iran, which has seen large anti-government demonstrations taking place across the country over the past week. Joining me on the line from Tehran is our correspondent there, Najmeh Bezogmer, and here in the studio, our former Middle East correspondent, Andrew England. Najmeh, first, these demonstrations have taken place across the country. What provoked them? The demonstrations started last week on Thursday when thousands of Iranians in the city of Mashhad, which is Iran's second biggest city, poured onto the streets and complained about rising living prices. Then on Friday, the protests were all over the country. It spread through the country, and it was very strange, this speed and how widespread it was, which was the main feature of this unrest, which has taken about one week. And unlike, say, the big demonstrations in 2009, which were concentrated in Tehran and people said were mainly the kind of upper middle class, this seems to be slightly poorer people and out in the provinces. Is that the case? It was quite hard to tell what kind of people were the protesters. It was not an uprising of the lower class, and obviously the middle class had a very minor role in that. So it seemed that the crowd was mixed, and the crowd did not have an agenda, the crowd did not have a leader, and their slogans were all over the place. It started with economic demands, but quickly it hit the whole political system. The top leaders, people wish death for Ayatollah Ali Khamenei, the supreme leader for President Rouhani, who won landslide victory only in May. So it started with economic problems, but then it was the whole political establishment that was the target of protesters. And what has the government's reaction been? Presumably they were taken by surprise by this. How are they trying to handle it? The government of Mr. Rouhani tried to say that we understand your problems and we have been trying to resolve those economic problems, high unemployment, inflation. We have done our best, but this is not the way to show your dissent in terms of use of violence, which was quite a lot by protesters. All political groups condemn that. But then the other parts of the political system, Iran's supreme leader, the revolutionary guards, blamed foreign enemies, the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, that they said were behind this protest and provoked people, mainly via social media. So, Andrew, as I said, this is the biggest demonstration since 2009. Those were crushed. Do you think that in the end this is likely to be the same result, that the regime is pretty rock solid? Yeah, I mean, clearly the regime's been rattled and the fact that it spread so quickly across the nation was very unusual and in some ways makes it harder to contain, although we haven't seen the scale of the protests we saw in 2009. The head of the Revolutionary Guards has said that it has ended. We've seen big pro-government organised by the state rallies across the country. 
So it does look as though it's ebbing. So yes, we should assume that this will end. There could still be some instability. But the regime, you know, throughout its history since the 1979 revolution has put down protests and put them down brutally at times. And we know that hundreds of people have already been arrested. At least 21 people are believed to have been killed in the protests. So it does look like, well, firstly, the regime is not going to brook dissent. And secondly, that they are starting to ebb now. And one of the things that's always difficult for an outsider to understand from Iran, maybe for insiders as well, is how the various parts of the regime are interacting, because it looks as if, as ever, there is rivalries between the Rouhani, the more moderate people around President Rouhani, and the religious establishment. Have we learned anything more about that from the course of these demonstrations? No, I think what we've seen is the power struggles within the regime exposed. So initially, when the first protests started in Mashhad, the hardline, a conservative city, which is Iran's second largest city, on Thursday. It was a peaceful protest, and the initial reaction of reformist politicians and analysts was this must have been triggered by conservatives' hardliners trying to undermine President Rouhani. Then it spread, and the hardliners have responded by calling it a foreign conspiracy, as Najmeh said. But throughout the history since the revolution, we've seen these power struggles between what we call more moderate or more reformist elements of the regime and the hardline conservatives. All sides within the regime want to do whatever they can to protect it. What they argue about is the direction the regime should take to ensure its existence. So Rouhani has been pushing a reformist agenda and suggesting that to ensure that the regime meets the aspirations of Iranians, it gradually opens up, he eases social freedoms, it re-engages with the West. Now, there are others within the regime, the hardliners, who don't want to see change, who don't want to see an opening up, don't want to see the influence of the West coming into Iran. So you constantly have these power struggles. And in the middle of that is President Rouhani, who's more of a pragmatist. I mean, we must remember that he is a veteran of the regime. He's a former senior security official. And although he campaigned on a reformist agenda in the elections in May, there were always question marks about which side would he really, really play. Because people are looking to the eventual succession to the supreme leader. So there's a lot of internal politics going on, which is quite opaque, but there are always these constant struggles. And Najma, I mean, tell us about the economic backdrop, because, as you say, a lot of at least of the early slogans seem to be reflecting discontent that hopes of a better life, perhaps after the easing of Western sanctions, have not been fulfilled. Is life still getting harder or is it getting easier? Life has not got harder if you compare it with four years ago when Mr. Rouhani was elected for the first time. Back then, the inflation was more than 40%. Unemployment was still high. Iran was under sanctions. Iran could not sell crude oil, which is the lifeline of this country. But since then, sanctions have been lifted on oil, at least oil sales continue And inflation has gone down to 10%. Unemployment remains high. Economic growth nominally is at 6%, even though people say we still feel the economy is in recession and we don't feel growth in the economy. So overall, the economic situation has not got worse. But what is creating trouble for Mr. Rouhani is the high expectations that people had from him and from the nuclear agreement with major powers. I think what Mr. Trump has done to the nuclear agreement and how he has put its future at risk has added to the disappointment and disillusionment of Iranians. They think that life has not improved the way they expected. 
and unemployment remains high. In some of these towns and cities where we saw protests, the unemployment rate is higher than the country's average. The country's average unemployment is about 12%. Of course, youth unemployment is about 25%. But in these towns and cities, when I was looking at the figures of unemployment, it's higher than the country's average. In Kermanshah, it's two times more than the country's average. In Ize, one of the small towns, when we saw people were killed, it's around 18%. So unemployment has played a role in this unrest, especially in small towns where social pressure would be added to economic pressure when you have three young people in your home who are unemployed They can't get married, they can't do anything, and they rely on small money that their parents have. So economic situation, the perception is it has got worse. In reality, it has not got worse. Economic problems are huge, massive. They won't be resolved easily, and people do not have patience to see reforms go on gradually, sector by sector. And one other element that, again, appears to have cropped up in the demonstrations is a sense that people who feel hard-pressed, as you say, are upset that resources of the Iranian state are going into regional struggles, into Lebanon, into Gaza, into Syria. How controversial or how much has that been a subject of discussion within Iran? Iranians have never liked to see their money spent outside the country. This is an issue they have had with the Islamic Republic for some decades. But since the Arab Spring and what happened in Syria and the fear that Iranians had that the unrest may spill over into Iran or ISIS may try to cross the border and come and do terrorist attacks in Iran, people were happy that Iran enjoys security, almost unique security in this region, And we're not talking about the money that is spent outside Iran anymore. At least for the past few years, we didn't see that complaint much. But in these protests, it was raised again. So it's a general problem Iranians have with the regime's regional policies, even though in recent years we didn't see much complaint. I won't take this very seriously in this round, but if the regime wants to go beyond what is already doing, and if the crisis in Iraq and Syria is curbed, and then the people think Iran is doing more than what it should do, then people can get very upset again. Okay. Now, Andrew, just as we come to a close, obviously that's the international context, and a lot will depend, or may depend, on how the rest of the world reacts. Donald Trump has been tweeting almost daily, sort of almost taunting the Iranian regime, but also supporting the protests. The European Union's been a little more uh, quiescent on this. How do you gauge the international reaction at the moment? Well, I think it's like you say, Gideon, and I think the Europeans have been much more cautious in their response. And they're much more supportive of the nuclear deal that was signed in 2015 with six world powers. Donald Trump has been very clear since his campaign, since he's been in office, that he's going to take a much tougher stance on Iran. He's complained about its regional interventions in Syria, in Iraq, in Lebanon. He's complained about the ballistic missile program, and he's put the nuclear deal under some fierce stress. In fact, you know, this month he will have to make another decision to decide whether to certify 
that Iran is in compliance with the deal or decertify it, which could bring more sanctions back. Now, these protests could give him, in his mind, more ammunition to scrap the deal. But at the same time, I think there'll be a lot of concerns in diplomatic circles that his outspokenness on the protests risks emboldening the hardliners who don't want to re-engage with the West, who are pushing back against Rouhani. So it's a very fine game. And the nuclear deal is key to a lot of this because from Rouhani's perspective, and remember, he was the architect of this deal, the nuclear deal is core to his foreign policy and it's core to his economic policy. In terms of foreign policy, he wants to use it to re-engage with particularly European countries to get investment to the country. From an economic perspective, he sees that investment is crucial to dealing with these economic ills that we're hearing about, the high youth unemployment, rejuvenating, decaying infrastructure, getting businesses there. So I think this is a critical period now in terms of how the West views this and perceives this and engages with Iran after this because we've got two camps. We've got the Europeans who want to protect the nuclear deal and think it is a model of an international agreement to deal with a global crisis and Trump who clearly wants to rip it up. I think if we see the protests calm down without further deaths, without seeing a massive government intervention, then the Europeans at least will remain quietly watching. The key question here is Donald Trump. Okay, Andrew, thank you very much. Just finally, Najma, just since you're on the spot, can you just give us a kind of sense of the mood in Tehran a week into these demonstrations? Andrew suggests that they may be beginning to fizzle out. Is that how it feels? Tehran had experienced 2009 unrest, which was led by the middle class. That was a lesson to many people in Tehran that you cannot push for your demands through street protests. So during this unrest, there were many people who were very much worried about insecurity and were hoping these protests to finish, especially after seeing what was happening in small towns and how state properties, private properties were set on fire. This actually caused a lot of fear among people in Tehran. And the protests in Tehran since Friday until Monday night, it was quite small. It was basically hundreds of people. You couldn't see more than hundreds of people in the streets. So the mood in Tehran is this should not continue. We have problems. We have economic problems. We have social demands. We have political demands. But the way to achieve this is not through street protests anymore. Well, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much indeed to Najmeh Bazorgmer there in Tehran and to Andrew England here in the studio in London. That's it for this week. Until next week, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.